Good evening, everybody. Um, Barry, I guess we thought he had made some sort of physical recovery. Um, that's not true, or he's relapsed or something. Uh, he has bronchitis, uh, and word on the street is that Teresa threatened him if he tried to teach. And I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I'm certain that it was both submissive and terrifying. Yeah, she can really like bow up a little bit. Yeah. So if you're thinking Adam's not our usual teacher, you're right. And also if you're thinking there's a worksheet on 1 Corinthians 2 in the back and that doesn't seem to be like what we were going to study tonight, you're right about that too. Um, so you're right on all of those things. Uh, Barry sent this and asked us to, to go through it and kind of the concept of the, the class on how to enjoy your Bible or some will call it how to study your Bible that y'all are doing out here. Um, is about how to do that. And our study tonight, 1 Corinthians 2, is going to talk a lot about how we study the Bible, how we understand it, what we come to know when we study it together. Um, so that's going to be what we go through tonight. If you did not grab a worksheet when you walked in, raise your hand and Jerry will get one for you. Jerry, I know Nicole up here needs one. I think that's it. So your work was super easy, Jerry. You have to write on all of the worksheets that are left, though. Um, so there are some prompts on the left uh, of that sheet as you look. Um, if you don't have a writing utensil, look to your right, look to your left, grab one from a friend, steal one if you need, um, but you'll probably want something to write with uh, as we study tonight. Um, as we get started, we'll do this similar to some of the other classes I've, I've led, and we will just read all of 1 Corinthians 2 together in one solid block uh, to get started. So I'll do that for us. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord God of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things... God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. All right, let's take two minutes, and you can look at some of the prompts on the left to make a few notes. Um, You might also consider, are there any words or phrases that are repeated multiple times, or any concepts that you especially think are important that we should discuss in a minute. So we'll take, we'll take two minutes while everybody jots down some notes with their pens and pencils, and then we'll talk some. So to get us started, I'll just mention one of the things that kind of I thought was interesting. I'm interested in y'all's thoughts on it. Verse 1 opens with an I did not statement. What did Paul say I did not do? Yeah, I didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom. What, What does that mean? What do you think that entails, this concept of I didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom? 
you say something? Yeah, I think there's two things that, that he put it on a level that anybody could understand. And he, he didn't want to make it any other way. It's, it's something that every man, every Christian that has faith would be able to. Okay, so. Uh, an idea that in teaching, Paul sought to, I don't, I don't want to give the idea of dumb down or watered down, but instead of presenting doctoral level theological thought, instead he presented language, information, and construction of thought that you wouldn't consider lofty. Instead, you would likely think the opposite. Ordinary, normal, what an average man would understand. We're going to go to Alan. Where is to me, you know, would make these great flowery speeches, you know, that, that would hold people's attention just by how he spoke. He wasn't a great speaker or Okay, so that's the idea what, what Alan's mentioning here is lofty in terms of not high-minded, but instead lofty in terms of um, flowery, um, fancified. It's just, it is meant to attract the hearer not necessarily because the message is the word, but because the message sounds good. It just sounds nice the way I present it. Ken, were you going to say something? I, I think also if you could say that it wasn't about him. He didn't make it about himself. Yeah, so he didn't make it about himself, and what verse would tell you that? Two. Yeah, verse 2 says, instead of lofty wisdom or uh, lofty speech uh, or wisdom, instead... His desire was that they know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What else did y'all notice and call it these first five verses? He's almost putting himself down to say, don't look at me. You need to know God. You need to know Christ. Okay, so Alan said he's kind of pulling away from Paul and pointing them towards Christ. Is there somewhere besides verse 2 that you get that idea? Yeah, so if you look at 4 and 5, my speech and my message, they weren't about words of wisdom or, or my wisdom, I think you might say. Instead, they're about the Spirit, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. Um, what do you think about either the statements that they're not implausible words of wisdom or reactions to the not rest in the wisdom of men? What... What's he saying there? Okay. Well, man's logic and God's wisdom are two different things. If you wanted to, to dream up something like this, man could not. Okay, so that's the, that's the idea that in the resting in the wisdom of men is resting in man's wisdom in terms of this is what man says we should do this is how the world approaches things what's another way that you could interpret that not rest in the wisdom of men to me it says that they've had plenty of speeches and plenty of people sharing their knowledge the rabbis you know everybody else sharing their knowledge now he's like 
I'm not sharing your death, I'm sharing your Jesus. Yeah, so the concept that Alan mentioned there is lots of these people have heard from, they have heard from men teaching spiritual things. They've heard from the rabbis of, of the day. They've heard from the spiritual teachers of the day. Instead of Paul saying, I am repeating what the rabbis have said, similar to the, the, some of the discussion we had on Sunday night, Rabbi Levin or Rabbi whatever the other one was, you know, what that guy teaches. Instead, I'm going to teach what, what I see in the scripture. Um, How is that important for us and when we study and when we teach others? Yeah, so the, and that, the, the message is not tailored in terms of content or effect to who it's being presented to. It is, um, it's the wisdom of God, it's the power of God, and so effectively all people receive the same message. What can we, how can we kind of understand that a little bit as we think about how Paul, how Paul taught people though? So when Paul went to Athens, he did not go to How did he teach those people? the same information of it. Um, you can teach all people the same information, but that doesn't mean you use the same examples, or that doesn't mean you use the same methods of teaching, right? Uh, a friend of mine, Dan Kane, is in Sierra Leone teaching. He's working with a group of people who fundamentally, the majority of them cannot read. Um, and they rely on oral, an oral method of learning information. He's had to completely change the way he teaches. His message is not different from what he taught in Boston, but the way he teaches that message is different. That's kind of a, a, a clarification there, right? What else do y'all see about this? I think verse 3 is interesting. Of just thinking about who Paul was and what he's experienced in his life and what he's gone through and the position that, he, that he's in. Um, even coming from the Jewish background, but also being um, called by God, becoming an apostle after uh, all the other apostles were apostles, but he was still lifted to that role. 
But he says, this is the way I approach it. I come to you in weakness, in fear, in trembling. I respect this message. I respect who God is, and I recognize my position. I'm not going to lift myself up while I'm presenting this message. Yes, uh, I'm not certain that the Paul who was on the way to Damascus would have said that he approached things with fear and trembling. The Paul after the encounter on the road is now filled with fear and trembling as he considers his different relationship with the message of the Bible as he understands it then. Um, One just comment I'll make before we keep going a little bit is, I think another concept of this, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, as we think of the purpose of this class on Wednesday nights, um, it's the goal of learning to love to read and study your Bible is so that each of us can come to a knowledge and understanding of the Scriptures on our own. And I think at different times, um, all of us at some point have had to rest on the knowledge of others when we, when we need to understand Scripture. And, and there will likely always be times in our future on some topics where we haven't studied enough that we rely, at least in some way, on the knowledge of people that we trust. But our calling here is to study that information for ourselves and eventually move past understanding something because I was in a class with Barry and he taught it, or I was in a class with Jerry and he taught it, or I heard a sermon from Danny and this is what Danny said. It's, it's okay if the beginnings of our foundations of some understandings of faith start there. But if we don't move them past that, our faith will never be our own. And we will never have to be able to have our own faith with fear and trembling if it is always based on, oh, well, yeah, I believe what I believe because I heard a sermon from someone at some point at some time. That's a great way to start. Yeah, Wayne. So I'm, I'm not certain I agree with you. I'm sorry. So in verse 4, when he talks about plausible words of wisdom, and then if you go down a little further, you see some other places um, where he talks about who has wisdom and who doesn't have wisdom. Um, this is not a wisdom of this age or rulers of this age. But in verse 7, this is a hidden wisdom. So I think... If, if you think about we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, what concept or teaching method of Jesus from the Gospels would you think about? Parables. When Jesus taught in parables, there were hidden messages within that. People had a longing 
and deep desire to understand the Word of God, they weren't hidden for, to be clear. They, those people understood them, and they followed them, and then those people followed Jesus. For people who didn't really understand them or want to understand them, wow, that's really deep, and I don't understand any of that, and all the message is hidden. And to those people, it was hidden. In verse 4, when he says, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, I think he's comparing this to other parts in this passage that reflect the fact that he did not come teaching the wisdom of men. Plausible words of wisdom here, I think, is the idea of things that you would just believe because you're a part of the world. You're part of the natural world, and so you believe certain things. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, and fundamentally, an aspect of our study has to be that we will encounter things in Scripture that don't make sense. And I don't mean they don't make sense like I don't, I read this and I don't understand it. That's definitely going to happen. I mean, you're going to read things and they are going to tell you that you need to live a certain way and that will not be logical. Can you think of examples? Okay, turn your other cheek. Love your enemy. Count it all joy when what? Tribulations. When, you're, when there's tribulation. What else? Deny. Deny yourself. Don't, don't satisfy your desires. Deny yourself so that something can happen. What else? That we're here for glory. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. All of these ideas are ones that, for the most part, they are counter to worldly wisdom or plausible wisdom of men. Many times, if you are adhering to what Scripture tells you to do, at some point in your life, someone should tell you you're weird. Unless you just happen to only hang out with Christians and you're only with people that believe this, at which point we should talk about your life choices because that's not really a good way to be an example in the world. John. Okay. In this case, you could say, is he didn't come to you trying to persuade you into something. Okay. He didn't come to persuade you. He came presenting Facts. information. Okay. That's interesting. Um, to me, a plausible wisdom would be, he's wealthy, so he must be spiritual. Okay. So that was definitely a problem they dealt with, certainly in their day. We'd likely deal with it some in ours, that if someone's wealthy, they've made good, righteous decisions. If someone is not wealthy, that certainly means they've made bad decisions and they aren't good people. So who do we listen to? Yeah. Let's, let's keep going uh, a little bit. Um, let's look at verses, call it 6 through 9, 6 through 10. I, I referenced a little bit, not a wisdom of this age, a little bit about the hidden wisdom. Um, what do you think about this idea that it's, um, this isn't wisdom from today? How does that reflect when we study, and how do we reflect that, that it not necessarily doesn't match the wisdom of today? It says that the message is ageless, and we don't have to customize. Yeah, so if the message is ageless, if we are really studying, 
I want to be careful how I say this. We should be willing and able to change our minds about what the, what the Scripture means. But that should be an effect of studying the Scripture, and there's actually things that we now see that we didn't see before. Um, in the notes that Barry sent me, one thing he referenced was, if you look back, call it pre-World War II, most conservative brethren would have uh, uh, brethren and preachers especially would have considered themselves um, pacifists. They would not have supported the war and were very actually opposed to uh, the United States getting to World War II. As soon as the U.S. was attacked on, in Pearl Harbor, um, that sentiment changed very quickly, even within conservative Christians. People who had been pacifists were now nationalists, and had suddenly realized that it was good, righteous, and holy for us to defend our country. Whereas weeks before, they, may have, they would have said it was good, righteous, and holy to never be involved in taking life. To be clear, we will not at this moment get into a de that debate. <laughs> but, but there are times like that where we have a point of view and then it changes. It's not bad that a point of view changes, but it's important to note that at the same time, the culture of our nation changed then too. Prior to the war, a major, prior to Pearl Harbor, a majority of Americans were opposed to the war. After Pearl Harbor, a majority of Americans were for us getting into that war. That, that gives an indication that potentially people that say that they're following the word of God are actually following the moral sentiment of the day and explaining it as, well, I, I do this because it's what Scripture says. And then when the moral sentiment of the day changed, they found ways for Scripture to justify that also. Um, it's really important that we don't give that impression to people that the moral sentiment of the day changes how we feel about things. Um, because not only is that extremely hypocritical, it also is extremely evident to those that we likely are trying to teach. And it, it shows a lack of genuine desire to um, study the Word, and instead it shows a desire to justify why I make the choices I make and how I explain those. Um, so how do, we, how do we study without inserting bias cultural, personal, or otherwise? It's really difficult. Um, it can be difficult sometimes because we might use versions that insert bias, right? So we have to think about that. What are you going to say, Maura? Personally, I have to know the God first before I know the specific subject that I'm trying to find an answer. So if I go into it looking for an answer to say... What side am I going to be on, pacifist or a nationalist in this war? I, I may come up with a skewed answer as if I was looking into what God has presented himself. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lengthy process. It will never be easy. It's and, and it's also personal. I think... I think in lots of these debates, especially where culture comes into play, 
Sometimes once we reach a conclusion, we are of the belief that I can then explain that to Jerry in a quick 10 or 15 minutes or in a talk and like, then we're all going to agree. Well, if, if it's difficult and it took me a long time to study and get there, I should not assert that I can, I can just, you know, convince you of it, you know, in a, a 10 or 15 minute discussion. We, we all have to wrestle with these things on our own. Let me see, Jerry. So, yes, we need to establish faith, but uh, one of the benefits of having each other is being able to study with each other and, and let each other be a, a way to tell if we're checking our biases. Yeah, so using each other to check the bias, I think, is really important. What's the, what's the key in that effort, though? Okay, you, yeah, you got to be with each other, around, around each other. That's one. Yeah, that's good. But you should also make sure you don't just hang out with people that agree with you. If you only study the Bible or talk about Scripture with the people in this building, you likely all agree. Mara? Diversity and background, socioeconomic status, um, how you were raised, that's how you kind of check your Bible. Your same age, your same status, your same right. everything in life. Yeah, if I, if I only study and talk about spiritual things with people who grew up in middle America, whose parents were married, who grew up in the conservative church, mostly lived in the South, and lived in suburban neighborhoods, lots of likelihood we'll agree on a good bit. Um, and that's how you get in a group think, right? And so when you study... Um, Max Shearer used to say to me, man, you just, you just think about everything different and kind of weird than everybody else. Um, I'm always kind of willing to be the contrarian to say, like, well, why do we, why do we think it means that? Um, because I think that's valuable. Like, I, I think it's, it's difficult to probe and test our understanding of Scripture if we... It's okay to start with, well, this is how we've always understood it. But if we only do that and don't chew on that and turn it over a little bit... Um, and honestly amongst one another say like, hey, I want to question this. That doesn't mean I'm questioning everything about my faith, but I do want to question this way we've interpreted some scripture. Doing that together is very powerful. And when brethren can support each other in that, you can also help prevent people from going too far in that effort, right? Like you can decide I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater if you're not careful. Um, let, let's keep going into... The, the next call it six verses, 10 through 16. So um, this idea comes up a couple times about the Spirit and what the Spirit does. So what do you guys see in there that's interesting or that you would take note of? Or maybe that's confusing or concerning? Belinda? Confusing and concerning, is that what you're going to go with? Figure. Um, yes, although I'm not certain that of God and from God have to be different. I don't know Greek, but of and from in lots of languages, mine was a more Latin basis, especially Spanish and Italian. 
of and from are like relatively, there's, there's very little difference of of and from in lots of languages. So I'm not certain that I would differentiate between of and from personally. Um, I would say like the way he starts verse 10 or verse 11, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. One, anyone who's married, I hope you know that, like, you have to know that this is true. You can be married and live with someone for almost 20 years, in my personal experience, and still not know everything that they think, even though sometimes you might have a haughty spirit and act like you can. Um, so we certainly can't know that of people that we don't live with, right? Um, but, but he's using that example that, like, I immediately take to my personal married life and say, like, wow, that's really evident even in my personal married life. He's saying, well... If it's true there, imagine how true it is of God. We can't know God just by sitting and pondering, man, I'd like to know God. We have to get that information from somewhere. And so here he says the way we comprehend is through the Spirit of God that we might, in, the, in the verse 12, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So what's been given to us by God? Okay, you, Alan says the Spirit. I agree with that. How are you going to use that to know God? Okay, so Alan then immediately took that to the... We, we receive the Spirit in that we have the Word, which was revealed by the Spirit. I think it's really important here that we not infer this idea that we have to receive some special dispensation of the Holy Spirit to understand the Word. Why is that important? Because there's multiple people can have different revelations of the Spirit because it's their own mind that's guided. Okay, so a standard way of responding to my question is, well, we don't want people to have the idea that they can get the Spirit because we don't want people to think that they can get their own revelation. But there's another way to think about this. If, if the only way to understand the Word of God, to understand God, is to read His Word, if I can only understand it if the Spirit comes upon me, who can understand the Word then? Who could actually understand it? Because to want to desire to understand it, the Spirit would have to essentially take you over. Like the, the Spirit would have to descend on you without your desire for you to understand the words so that you could then know God. This idea that I need to get some special measure of the Spirit to understand the Word and know God would basically, I think, preclude all of us from, from entering that funnel. I don't know if that makes sense to people, but if... If I'm saying that I need the Spirit, that the Spirit has to come on me in order to understand the Word of God. What does that mean for people who don't understand the Word of God today? It automatically excludes them, and then it excludes them forever. Because how are they going to know that they want the Spirit to come on them to then learn the Word? It, like you get into this circular argument of if you have to have some special measure of the Spirit to understand any of the Word or the mind of God, well, how do you get started? How do you, 
how do you begin to understand God's will for you if, if to get that desire you had to have some special measure of the Holy Spirit? Instead, what we need to understand is, I, I do believe that we need God's help to understand the Word at times. We do that by praying and, in my opinion, asking for guidance to figure out where we should look in the Scripture to understand. I, I, th I think giving anyone the idea that you pray to understand the Word and then you just wake up the next morning and you understand it gives people this idea that today we get the Spirit in a way that leads to revelation. We would never say that, but you can get really close to that if you're not careful in how you interpret some of these passages. Dan, do you have a thought? You look like you have a thought. You're not going to share. That's fine. I have a question. Oh, no. This is how we got in this whole place. <laughs> I, I'm just confused a little bit about the pronouns okay. that are here and who we're actually talking about when it says, starting in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us. Yes. Us. Yeah. So us... Uh, you can interpret us as um, all people, just generally. You could interpret us as Christians, generally. You could, uh, you could think of it as like Paul and the Corinthians that he's writing to are us. You can think of Paul, you can think of it as Paul and the apostles as us. Right, which I think that changes how you interpret, I mean, how you read it. If you interpret it as that last one, you get to verse 13. And we apostles, if that's what it means here, in part... This in words not taught by his human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So we are helping you. Yes. We are helping translate. Yeah, and the, the this whole discussion of who's the us is important to understanding that. Based on like most of First Corinthians, specifically chapter one and chapter four, Paul's not um, super complimentary of the Corinthians' understanding of Scripture. So it would be awkward for him to be using us in phrases like, us as in me, Paul, and you, the Corinthians. Us, we do this. Because otherwise, like, most of the book is a chastisement of how these guys interpret Scripture. <laughs> so I don't think it's that one. Um, I think you have to, in, in order to make all of these verses make sense, us in verse 10 and then us that you mentioned, or the we in verse 13, that has to be the concept of the apostles. Otherwise, the whole book shouldn't even exist because the Corinthians, it would mean they were just fine and they understood everything just fine. And they had this measure of the Holy Spirit that was revealing everything to them. And to that point, I think that eases some of the concern you raised about people saying we're getting a special, special knowledge from God you know, new direction or interpretation. I agree with you. I mean, praying and getting, understand things that the Spirit is at work, obviously, in us understanding His Word. I think understanding that as apostles there takes that confusion away. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Thank you. Mara? I don't understand that. Belinda didn't tell you to ask this question, did she? <laughs> okay, just making sure. So, us and we. Yep. I don't Yeah, that, that we, I think, is the same as the us in verse 10. It's the apostles. We're going to say, 
Yeah, yeah. I and then you. Yeah, it kind of separates, and you know, and then going through and defending the way, and the means and the motivation that he used in teaching them. There's a separation between the teacher and the student all the way through. Yeah. Verses. Yeah, I don't. So from your question, Maura, I don't see a place that I interpret where Paul says we, that he is saying we as in me and you, the Corinthians. He says I and you a lot. I, Paul, talking to you, Corinthians. He says we a few times, like in verse 7, we impart a secret hidden message. And then down in verse 10, us. And then in 12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand, and then that we impart this in words. The only one of those to me that you could almost say we is the Corinthians also is like verse 12, the second we, that we might understand the things freely given to us. All the other we's, I don't think have to, you could argue that they include the Corinthians. I don't think. I, I, by the way, I really don't love theological arguments based on interpretation of pronouns or like, I think sometimes that's really confusing. So I apologize if that's how you feel because sometimes that bothers me. I just to be plausible. Want to be plausible. I... <laughs> Wayne, see what you did? It's your daughter. Um, verse 14 talks about the natural person. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. I think here the, the concept of natural is the same thing as worldly, or as not spiritual. Or the majority. Yeah, or the majority. Um, and this gets back to the point I was making earlier. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. The majority of people who just approach the world through man's wisdom will naturally believe that what we are doing is folly. And the decisions that we make are folly. About six years ago, I was having dinner with a guy from work. We were up in New Jersey after having met with a client. And we were talking about things, and he's different things, and he was talking to me. We'd known each other for a long time, and this was the first time we traveled together. And he, he said, like, you make different decisions than the rest of us. Like, we're out to eat together. Like, you don't drink. Um, you're like you, you always spend time with people from church you study your Bible frequently you don't cuss like why do you do all that like I don't understand and I said well like I believe in something different than lots of people do and he said yeah but like you're not smarter than me like we're both pretty smart people so what do you what, what has happened to make you believe something I said, well, first, I can't make sense of the universe if I believe it happened by accident. If I don't believe that there's an intelligent creator, an intelligent designer behind the universe, I, I can't understand most of what exists in our bodies and in our world. And so once I take that point of view, I have to go and understand what that means. And fundamentally, my belief is if I believe that there's an intelligent designer makes good sense to want to serve that designer and to serve that creator and to understand what he wants for my life. 
that leads me to under, try to understand those things, which leads me to make decisions based on that. And he said, I've never heard someone explain faith like that. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. Um, as we seek to study, um, I think some messages that we can get from what Paul's, Paul tells us here in, in 1 Corinthians 2 is, one, the word can be understood. It doesn't have to be lofty. doesn't have to be based on some wisdom that's incomprehensible. The message of the Bible can be understood by average people using average words studying their Bible. And it can be simple. And that doesn't make it wrong or bad. Third, that it's likely going to be different than what the world thinks is right. If we only come to conclusions that agree with the culture around us, we are coming to the wrong conclusions. And finally, the only way we're going to know what the Lord wants for us is if we study His Word. Because there's not, there's not some other shortcut where we get it. Thanks, y'all. Barry will be back next week if Teresa lets him.